Hello and welcome to Spoil Your Rain. This is a special budget episode and I'm joined by Chris Bosang, who last was here in January. So Chris, the last nine months, they've been great, huh? They've been fantastic. I've loved every last day. Yeah. So uh, just for all of our non-Irish listeners, we had a budget on Tuesday. Um, in this country, the budget's a, a pretty big deal because we don't do like uh, appropriation bills or anything like that. So all the spending is kind of dealt with in one big package. Uh, the government is very proud of themselves because they balance the budget. I'm going to get into that in a minute. And basically, um, we've had a number of very severe, sort of pretty awful uh, austerity budgets over the last number of years. And the, the last year's and this year's have sort of passed what Jack Kerwin uh, coined as the kick in the balls test. So this this budget didn't leave as many people feeling like they had been kicked in the in the smalls. So this one I think passes that test for now at least. Um, but what were your kind of general impressions just as a punter, Chris? Well, I was supposed to because I knew I was going to be on this as kind of a foil uh, because <laughs> Kerwin isn't available. Um, I was supposed to do more research than I ended up doing. Um, I don't really have much to venture beyond the usual kind of... They haven't done enough on X. Yeah, vitriol that I would direct towards uh, Fine Gael. (laughs) In power. In power, you know, whatever party it was, I would have had about the same thing to say. I kind of intermittently checked in on the spectacle of the other parties who would have enacted very similar budgets. That's actually a really good point, because I hadn't actually really thought about the, the other budget submissions, because, you know, they're never going to happen. But you're right, like, I mean, with the exception of, like, little bits and pieces, like, a lot of the same budgetary trends were all going to be the same, which I think is because we're all under these EU strictures now. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the days of, like, the big magic budget where the Minister for Finance found $8 billion in a shed and then gave it to everybody is gone. Like, I mean, that that's not happening anymore. Because, like, and I, this is, um, I think I've told you this story before, and I'm going to tell the listeners because I don't think they've heard it, is um, there was a, a really great FOIA, uh, Freedom of Information Request, that was done on Department of Finance internal memos about the special EU troika commission that was stuck in as part of the um, Department of Finance. And they were designed to sit in there during the the recession and to make sure the bailout program was implemented and that the cuts were like going through and that they weren't messing around. And I loved how everybody in the memo, because this was like a multi-nation group of people from like all sorts of countries, but they were all collectively known as the Germans. (laughs) (laughs) So in all the memos, it was like, oh, the Germans are here. So was this this when Fianna Fáil were at the kind of their height of their ascendancy and they would barely show up to these meetings? No, this is is when Enda took over. Oh, right. So this is in the year that Enda took over when the bailout troika were there there was this group in finance and they were just known as the germans even though they were from like all these other countries aj chopra yeah, yeah, yeah. and the germans yeah. aj chopra this lovely indian man and the germans you know and it kind of makes you think of like you kind of wonder if someone in finance is has just been watching faulty towers on repeat for the last 30 years and has just sort of turned into the major and it's just like ranting and raving about the germans <laughs> Um, but I mean, you know, when the Germans were here, to use their phrase, I mean, the, the budgets were 
completely different to our kind of normal budgetary process because it had to go through the sort of European continental norms as opposed to our completely chaotic hockey-inspired kind of budgets that we've had since the early 80s, which have all been mad. Mm -hmm. And it's like every... It used to be like every Christmas time when we used to have budgets. We used to have budgets in December, and we now have them in October. Um, It was like a couple days before Christmas, and the government would just announce all this stuff that if it was a bad budget, then everybody just had a horrendous Christmas. And if it was a good budget, then everyone felt really good. You know, and it sort of had that effect on the business year, because the business year then starts again January 1st. Hmm. So is that why they moved it back? No, they moved it back because the Germans, the actual Germans, not the Germans in the Department <laughs> of Finance. Just to be clear, there's two groups of Germans. There's the German people, the Bundestag, and I'm sounding like, you know, Bertie now, the Bundestag. <laughs> the Bundestag made us bring it up to October. So we're in line with all the other European countries. And the reason they made us do that is so that our budget can be scrutinized. So that there is a, an oversight to make sure that, you know, Brian Cowan types don't just turn up with huge amounts of money that have no idea how to pay for. So in times where they would release them in around Christmas, was there that pressure from business leaders to not cut too hard? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was always pressure to release, like, goodies that would sort of stimulate Christmas spending and then the New Year sales. Mm-hmm. Like, there was that was actually all factored into the budget process, you know, and they were quite open about it. I mean, the ministers of, of any, all parties who, who were then in the finance chair would say, oh, we're doing this because we want to stimulate X amount of growth in the coming months. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not it worked is kind of irrelevant, but they did think that way. But returning to Budget 18, and just for those of you who aren't really familiar with the budget process, and I know that this is a problem for a lot of people who listen to this who live here because they kind of, they look at the budget on a Tuesday and the first thing people probably scroll for is, am I going to get hammered by this? And then they go, okay, most of us haven't been, unless you like, unless you like tanning beds and cigarettes, like you're pretty much okay. Mm. Uh, you're going to get negligible tax cuts. Um, if you have money in the stock market, you're going to get a bit of a smack. If you're sitting on a load of empty land, you're going to get a bigger smack. But very few of us are sitting on loads of empty land, so it's kind of a moot point. Um, but the budget itself is problematic in a macro level. So macroeconomically, the budget is balanced thanks to a very handy, very, very handy three and a half billion they got from AIB. Mm-hmm. Because AIB was completely nationalized by the state. It actually happens to be my bank. And I really liked that it was nationalized because it meant that it was safe. And now it's they've sold off huge amounts of shares and they've made a windfall and that's helped them balance the budget. So if you look, and I will put in the show notes the two links to last year's budget estimates and this year's budget estimates, and you will see on page two a handy 3.5 billion sitting there that wasn't there before. So they didn't plan for it last year. It just turned up on this year's balance sheet. And then, you know, oh my God, it's balanced. Whoop-de-doo. Mm-hmm. The reason why Fine Gael want to balance the budget now is because the EU have said any country that was completely out of the fiscal targets, i.e. had a massive deficit, that was us, that then manages to go back into balance can go under normal rules and borrow 3% of their total budget, which is about between 7 and $8 billion for us. So next year, they can start borrowing again. And bringing in huge amounts of money. And we know what this is. We know what this is. Like, I remember the election in 2007. Brian Cowan announced a budget that was basically designed to bribe the electorate. And then they put the, they put the, the election right in the middle of the leaving cert. So, therefore, nobody my age was going to be voting. Mm. And it was, that was it. A done deal. You know, Pascal's going to come out next year. 
uh, you know, with his copy of Ulysses in one hand and, you know, a, a huge giveaway right wing, you know, stimulus budget and they're going to go for an election. You know, why wouldn't you? If you've got this in the bag, if you have all this money coming on stream and you can micro target constituencies that you hope will get you, you know, an extra 10 seats or whatever it is they're hoping to get. So do you think that money is going to be micro-targeted in order to secure seats that are already there, or are they going to try to do a giveaway budget to be like a new centre-right populism? Or I don't think Fine Gael could pull off centre-right populism. See, this is the thing. I don't, I don't think, think they can. Yeah. They can't pull that off. Like, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll, re- I'll rephrase that. Enda could have pulled that off, right? Enda could be at a chicken and chips dinner in the Midlands and could offer somebody a free motorway. Like, he could pull that off. You could trust Enda, sort of, at a chicken and chips dinner to kind of promise you a motorway. Leo Varadkar has never been to a chicken and chips dinner. He's never, he doesn't know what that is. That's not, you know, that's not organic chicken. He has no idea. So, I mean, he can't go to the Midlands or to the border region and protect those Fine Gael seats. Mm. So if it's him and Pascal, two Dublin guys who know nothing about anybody outside of the pale, mm. um, they know barely know anything about Cork. I mean, look how they've sidelined all the Cork guys in their own party. I mean, they're just going to have to put money into districts they think they can flip, which well, would be in the commuter belt. Right. And they would be promising schools and... Schools, tax cuts... Okay. I mean, we could actually see massive tax cuts paid with this $8 billion. They could actually wipe out USC. That's grim. Yeah. I mean, they could merge USC with PRSI and take it all out. So this is important. I mean, what they've done is, with this budget, they've unlocked the ability to do more spending next year. But when Fine Gael say spending, what they actually mean is reducing overall revenues. Because at the end of the day... The modern iteration of Fine Gael is not Gareth Fitzgerald's one. It is, it's not even remotely close to John Bruton's one. It is, it is a very economically liberal view of the world, which is about reducing the power of the state, creating much more sort of opportunities for, you know, basically kind of pirates <laughs> on the open market. Look what they did to housing. Um, and that's the biggest failing from this budget in terms of like a political hit is the fact that there's nothing been done on homelessness. All of their long-term strategies, it's all this kind of wishy-washy stuff Well, oh, X amount of houses may turn up sometime in the future, you know. Yeah. It's not. The homelessness crisis is their problem and they have to fix it and they have no solution of which to fix it. Now, that's something nominal that you might see Owen Murphy fastening on to if... They release that in the next budget. This will allow tax cuts for developers too. There will be and all then, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the problem is, then you're coming up very close to an election, and like I, I saw the Fianna Fáil Ardesh. Fianna Fáil had uh, an Ardesh for again the non-Irish listeners is uh, is the Irish for basically a party conference. So Fianna Fáil scheduled their party conference four days after the budget. A budget, by the way, that they facilitated. The budget would not have happened without the two largest parties coming together to make it happen. And you can see Willie O'Dea's fingerprints on it in the weird social welfare increases, although I'm sure Willie doesn't like the chicanery that went into that. And just to explain this, for anyone who's got uh, grandparents who are on the pension and who are thinking about, oh, there's an extra fiver, just me granny would be all right. No, uh, that fiver kicks in at the end of March and it's, it's only going to be counted until September. Because when we brought the budget up to October, spending estimates are just for the first nine months of the year. So Fine Gael can say, we're giving everybody a fiver. And then if you look at the math, you go, why is that such a small amount of money? 
because like normally that you know be very expensive to do that for a whole year they're only counting six months mm -hmm. really so they can just roll it over <laughs> so it, it's it's one of these things that looks great until you kind of look into it and go well hang on actually that that's just total charlatanism you know that's like pt barnum saying i have a really authentic mermaid in my shed come look at it <laughs> you know and it's a girl painted blue like i mean it really isn't real <laughs> no and it's such a and it's I mean, so obvious it's so obvious you you notice this immediately you did you yeah know, I, I did yeah if because i probably I pointed it out to you <laughs> yeah yeah exactly because you because you do notice these things but it's i'm also one of those sad bastards who downloads the budget well yeah you were um when you were at your pc i was seeing you moving between two screens and actually looking at these bar charts you, that they put on .gov.ie that you you know pulled down and looked one at. of the only people probably yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the only guy downloading that this week anyway. there's almost certainly a file on you somewhere like yeah. getting a lot of activity from kildare there's someone yeah. planning some kind of yeah, uh, weird budgetary crisis weird budgetary 12,000 word blog post um, the, it's a kind of I mean this is always spins into a broader indictment of other things but I think the fact that you they, they think that they can pull that off speaks mm. to how little scrutiny these sorts of things will get yeah and I think the sunbeds thing kind of maybe plays into that yeah this it was such a weird thing to tax um, obviously like Again, it's because we were talking about vices earlier in a previous episode, me and Kerwin. We were talking about the thing about vices is, look, people know these things are not good for them, right? If you get into a, a tanning bed, from what I've read about them, it's like basically going under a, a microwave. Yeah. To, it changes your skin tone. You know, they're frying you, basically. So if somebody wants to get onto a human skillet, I don't understand why pay, them paying 23% fat as opposed to 13.5% fat makes any health difference whatsoever. Because no. they're going to still get under the human skillet. Yeah. There's no, it's not going to stop them. No. And yeah. uh, the sugar... Was there a sugar thing as well? Yeah. Oh, the yeah. sugar tax, that doesn't kick in until next year. Right. And the sugar tax is one of these hilarious things where they announced it a couple of years ago. Everybody pointed out to them, which was the obvious one, which is you're going to have people driving across the border to buy Fanta in enormous quantities and then selling them to, back to people here. And so they said, oh, we'll wait until the UK announced their sugar tax so that there's this cross-border parallel or whatever. But, like, I really still think that there's going to have smuggling now of soft drinks. Or else what's going to happen is the company's going to do what the American companies did when there were attempts at this stuff before, which is the sugar-free options. Mm. The ones that are full of aspartamine, E-numbers, every other bloody chemical you can think of. That will start coming into the market and it's going to take our version of the, the food and drink um, people, the, the food safety boards, yeah. uh, who are actually really good. We have really good food safety authorities. They do a really good job most of the time at stopping the mad stuff. But it's going to take them a long time to have to go through every different variant of Fanta, yes. sugar-free, yeah, to make sure what's in it. There's a vacuum in that legal framework. And yeah. these companies have unlimited... You're talking about Coca-Cola. Yeah, totally they unlimited have money. resources yeah. to like invent new compounds. Yeah, they, they, they don't mind. Like, you know, they yeah. will spend the time to make this work. So I think this, this is again... <coughs> It's again with the anything that's on vice in this country. Anytime we start taxing, by the way, the no no tax on alcohol. Of course, not. again it's again, again with like the like I've never heard of anybody causing a car accident because they were drinking a can of Fanta. Pascal's wife with her shares in Diageo. 
Does she have shares in the energy? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I love that. I love the tidbits that you bring. I didn't know that she... Though. Well, that does make sense then. He, yeah. he divested himself of um, of his connection. Because he opened till like, I think even weeks before the budget was... He had shares in Diageo while he was serving as Minister for Defense, or for Finance. Yeah. Wow. Like, they took, they took away, um, what's his name? Ford's peanut farm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, Carter. Yeah, Carter. Carter, Carter couldn't own a peanut farm, yeah, but yeah, Pascal yeah. can have shares in the largest drink company, one of the largest drink companies in the world. Like. Yeah, of course. I love it. Yeah, I love it. And you, and you know for a fact that, like, if... Um, you know, if if Paul Murphy had shares in like I don't know United Health or something, they'd be killing him. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's just mad. Like, the, yeah, there there is something sort of deeply screwed up about the way we don't have good ethics for politicians when it comes to the owning of shares. We do actually have good ethics when it comes to owning property, weirdly enough, because we make them like account all that stuff. But once again, it's into shares, it all gets a bit hazy. Mm. And I think it's, well, because most Irish people don't own shares. Most yeah. Irish people are not shareholders. So it's not like the States. It's not like where your bud, your, your, you know, your pension's in a 401k or anything. There's none of that. So I think your, your average person doesn't really, they don't own shares. They don't know what dividends are. They don't understand how those things are taxed. Our taxes for dividends are completely kind of negligible, really. They don't do much. And so if you put your money wisely and that kind of stuff and you've got a good accountant, you can make a serious return and mm -hmm. pay very little tax on it. And, there's, and there seems to be a lack of awareness of this. And it's a problem then if we have much more elitist politicians, which is what this current younger lot of Fine Gael are. Because these guys are not like your previous Fine Gael. I think that's something that has to be said about this budget as well. The whole context of it is Fine Gael has always been an unusual party because of all of its internal divides and regional problems and other things but it's the first time i can think of where we've had a Fine Gael government in power that is almost completely at the upper levels a sort of cabal of sort of deeply insulated sort of what america what kerman would call like americanized culturally mm. so they think of themselves probably like they're democrats yeah which is mad because they're not but they probably think of themselves that way yeah. And they have all those kind of value judgments they come out with. But in actual fact, like they are like Friedmanites. Mm -hmm. They have all of that economic theory behind them. And they're not like a normal breed of Fine Gaeler. Yeah. You know. And and these are the guys and there's also there was nothing in the budget about Brexit. Nothing. There was no, nothing, no no special, there was a rainy day fund that they never explained what was going to go into it. I love this. Every so often we all have a rainy day fund, but there's no money in it. So what is it doing? Like it's a rainy day bucket, really. Yeah. You know, so yeah, we made one, don't to, worry. To call the current child homelessness rate kind of a rainy day in itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess that doesn't justify it. Horrendous. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. We have a horrendous day fund. Well, what's the rainy day fund look like? Yeah, who's that for exactly? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think the other thing about this budget is that a lot of people were like, well, it's very boring. And I was like, well, boring is good. Yeah. Like, the days of crazy budgets are bad. It's not only bad for the economy because you stress everybody out just when people are making decisions about hiring and expanding and things like that, because we do need companies to do that to keep the unemployment rate down. But at the same point, it's also just not good psychically for anybody. Like, you want budgets to be boring and stable. You don't want big, massive jolts in your economic system. If you're changing variable tax rates every three years, nobody knows what to, what's happening. 
and everybody's going to get mad because everyone's going to be like, well, I thought I was paying this and I have a mortgage and I got kids in school and now I'm like, well, now I'm losing a third of my pay, then I'm losing half my pay, now I'm losing a quarter of my pay. People get pissed off, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what's happened with USC because they kept messing with the rates. People kept getting hammered. I think the thing is we just need to figure out how to deal with that. Again, there was nothing in the budget to deal with local government. Something you would think that Fine Gael, under their current iteration of leadership, who basically have abrogated dealing with counties, they've just given up dealing with counties. They have, they, you know, you ask them and it's like they're asleep, there's nobody there. And you'd think that a Fine Gael government would just sort of say, well, we're just going to create some sort of council tax and just give it back to them. It's funny that you, that you mentioned that kind of not dealing with counties and then the Democrats idea because Radker, when he kind of made his debut on the international stage, kept on describing himself as um, in this kind of grand centrist, as if it was in the ascendant in some way, like uh, the leadership of Macron. And he didn't say Merkel because she's profoundly unpopular here. Yes, but, but kind of meant that. He meant it, yeah. And no, it was him, Trudeau, and Macron. It was yeah. Trudeau. I was forgetting about yeah, him. Yeah, but she was kind of in the background. Yeah, well, she's always in those um, in those pictures that you see circulating, like the leaders of the free world. Yeah, and there's Merkel. And there's Merkel. And most Irish people are like, "Excuse me, what?" Yes, I don't uh, ask someone in uh, Greece what they mean. Yeah, or ask someone here what they think of that, you know, or ask someone in the Department of Finance with the Germans. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, uh, yeah, you hear these people talk, and you're like, "Who are who are they governing? Who are they (laughs) governing? Who are they governing, and who and what are they governing for?" Yeah, like what are they all about? You're right. Like, I mean, if if you say that you're of the radical center. What does center mean in this country? If there's one thing I've learned over doing this podcast for about two and a half years is, like, I don't think anybody knows what the center is. I have no idea. My listeners have no idea. My, I have listeners who say I'm a centrist. I have listeners who tell me I'm a right winger. I have listeners who go I'm a left winger. I have listeners who go you're not left enough and you're too right and you're not center and you're too center. I'd like to say you're not left enough. Yeah, of course you would, yeah. But nobody, nobody is clear on that. It's the it, it's best like, description I've heard was from a mutual friend of ours who said that it's a kite. It's whatever way the poles are moving, you yeah. will adjust. Yeah, yeah, so if yeah. the right is in the ascendance, the centers will become more right. Yeah, yeah. Um, after Jeremy Corbyn would and suddenly everyone was okay with social housing. They're just a, a yeah, nothing. It's commitment. a swinging. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's the other thing that was kind of missing from this year's budget that is normally apparent in other budgets is that there was no conscience on the floor. We have a tradition in this country of on budget day somebody standing up usually from either poor rural areas or poor urban areas and speaking truth to power and saying this budget is a disgrace for the following reasons and there was critiques of it obviously but there wasn't exactly the kind of critiques that there were of brian lennon taking away benefits from blind kids which Martin, um, Michael Noonan, to his great credit, hammered him about when he took away child benefit from the third child as opposed to the fourth or the fifth child. Mm-hmm. You know, like those were moment children's shoes. Like, of course, I've just made a litany of all the horrible things that budgets have done <laughs> to children, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like these are all like crimes against kids done in our budget. Like, And the there was no conscience to push back I think probably because there wasn't anything in the budget that people could get you could fixate on yeah with the one exception which was the unusual tax arrangements of women who were forced out of the civil service 
which blew up the day after. Right. Because Pascal, I'd love to meet Pascal's press guy, because this was a terrible idea. Pascal did like a call-in show on RTE or some sort of TV th radio thing. And people ringing in, like, to talk to the minister. Now, Pascal is a very swaddled, you know, very comfy man. You know, he, he's elected out of Cabra, but, like, he's not a Cabra guy. He's elected out of the, like, little block of, like, middle-class people. He nearly lost his seat in the last election. He is not a man of Dublin Central. No. And, yeah, obviously he's not used to dealing with citizens and voters and things. You know, he's got his own people around him. Um, you know, any guy like that who's loved with the media, you can usually tell, could not speak to a taxi driver for longer than five minutes. Mm. And he had like a, a queue of cab drivers ringing him up when he was on the thing. And he just made a total hames of it. Mm. He could not communicate. But he had this one guy on was saying, my wife is being hammered by this budgetary thing, which basically was there's a loophole that says that if you are a woman who was working in the civil service and you were forced out because the law said you had to lose your job again, for the non-listeners, during our Taliban period, we, we used to force women out of the civil service if they got married or pregnant. And this particular lady was forced out, then came back, and because she didn't have, like, she was missing three stamps for her PRSI, so her budget, like, her um, pension was, like, down by some huge amount of money for literally no reason. It's a technical fix. It's like a one-line amendment, and it's done. And Pascal totally flubbed it. Like, this is the difference between Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil. That was Fianna Fáil, you'd have Charlie Hahi or Ray Burke come out and go, just, that's grand. Tomorrow I'm fixing it. Yeah, yeah. End of problem, like. It, problem will go. <clears throat> Fianna Gael have to get all technocratic about it. And he's trying to explain to this man, whose wife is getting hammered on her pension, because of some crazy religious shit, that, oh, well, you know, it's very technical, very difficult problem. It really isn't. Mm. It's, it's about, this person was treated abominably by the state. Yeah. Fix it. A Fianna Fáil minister or senior figure would have... Straight out. And then trotted out in speeches for years to come. Yeah, that would have been his... <laughs> and, and, and that person would have voted for him. <laughs> that would have been a number two for the decades. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that minister understood my problem, related to me like a human being, mm. and was fixing it. And that's why the Fianna Fáil Ardesh, which was just there over the weekend, was so powerful to watch. Not that I agree with anything they're saying, but it was, it was very interesting. They were making that point the whole way through it. It was like the, the, you, the, the sub-theme of the Ardesh was the othering of Leo. Mm. You know, it, like it really was. It was like if, if you came from Mars and you just saw the Ardesh, you'd go, Geez, this is like the opposition. Yeah, but yeah. since we live here, we know that Fianna Fáil wrote half the budget. Yeah. So it's this nice little double game they have going. And they're like the historic establishment. They are, the exactly. Church. They are the establishment. I think I just I just played that audio there of Miel Martin on uh, The Week in Politics um, saying that, you know, well, we've been in government for 18 months. <laughs> he kind of recovered and he's like, 18 months of the supply arrangement. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're in government, pretty they're much. They're in government, pretty yeah. much. I do think this, though, um, on... Fianna Fáil. I think that if the roles are reversed, I was saying this to you earlier. Was it you? No, I was saying it to someone else. Sorry. If the roles are reversed, right? If Fianna Fáil are in government and Fianna Gael are backing them up, they're going to have a huge problem because Fianna Fáil are pretty much non-ideological. They'll go with whoever. Hmm. They'll do business with anybody. I mean, that's where the McSharries and all those guys come from. You know what I mean? Like, 
when they're looking at a Fine Gael budget, they're going to be like, here are our six priorities. As long as we get those, we'll let you just have a budget. If they're in the opposite way and Fianna Fáil want to do all this like big spending on builders and all that kind of stuff, Fianna Gael actually have like a, a set core of ideological beliefs, particularly this younger lot. I do not see them being as flexible. No. They are not like Willie O'Dea who'll go, I'll take a fiver instead of a tenner. That's the mad thing. About Isn't it? Like two, it? The two re- regimes, I, I say this all the time and I'm horrified by it. You know, there's a part of me that remembers um, eight, nine years ago and kind of screams inwardly that there's nothing like kind of two regimes of blatant class warfare to make you nostalgic for, for, for the used car salesman that are Fianna Fáil. <laughs> that are yeah. Fianna Fáil. Yeah, like Fianna Fáil basically, for the American listeners, Fianna Fáil are the dad from Matilda. Mm. They are the dad from Matilda, like putting the sawdust in the engine. Oh, like that's that's, good analogy, that's yeah. who they are. Like they are the dad from Matilda. That's the kind of, I mean, in times gone by, and I definitely think of uh, Hahi every time I think of this. But I'm is are they still the fixers? Have they not been professionalized? Has that grassroots not kind of gone from them now? I don't know because the, their recovery last year, like if you look at the 20 odd people they got in, they went from 20 to 45, 44 on the night because they, they snatched um, double and a half their former yeah. reputation. Yeah. Uh, you look at half of that extra 20, uh, they were previously politicians who just retook old seats. Right. So their new lot are kind of. They're not professionalized to the, the the biggest degree. They tend to be very conservative socially, though. They voted just voted no on the eight, the eight yeah. in their position. Yeah. yeah, so they're very socially conservative. But I wouldn't say I'd say they are of the used cars variety when it comes to money, though. Right. I would say that they are pretty open minded about spending it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they are like a Dara Kaliri type. Who I I listen to the Irish Times podcast. I know I shouldn't for my sins. I listen to the <laughs> politics one because uh, I like Hugh Linehan. I have no problem saying that. I really do like Hugh Linehan. I have a lot of time from, and I I like how he the poor guy is sort of left sort of corralling the zoo over there, you know, and and they were doing a live thing at the Fianna Fáil Ardesh, which is a great which is great if you're a politician to have that right to have a podcast there with a not completely hostile interviewers. Where you Say the could, least. <laughs> yeah, but they're not like lovable either. Like they're 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 not gonna give them a soft soap, really. Mm. Not those guys. Like they're they'd be much nicer to Fina Gale than they ever would be to Fina Fall. Like Oh yeah, no, that's what I mean. That, yeah, yeah. But like if you're Dark Cleary or one of these younger Fina Fall politicians, this is a prime opportunity to sound like a normal person. Like I was doing the dishes, listening to it, right? So I'm I'm scrubbing plates and I'm washing them and I'm doing like normal household thing and I have it in my pocket and I'm listening to the podcast. And clearly repeated himself about eight times. One of these like, you know, drilled in lines that he had. It was like going and going and going. Okay, Dara, make sure you say this on the yeah, podcast. It was like it was like having a broken Cylon on my phone. It was just going <laughs> on and on and on. And all that went through my head was like, you have an opportunity to sound like a normal person. What was the line? It was um We've done our, we, we understand that we've made mistakes in the past and we're here to make society better. It was like a variant of that about eight times. Jesus. And after a while, I was like, okay, Dara, I, I'm assuming that when you go home at night, this is not what you say to your children. Yeah. Like, I'm assuming you say normal things to them. Like, because this is mad. Hmm. Because the thing is, like, they, they've just been trained this way. But then there was a younger um, woman whose name, unfortunately, forget I forget, who was super conservative, but she talked like a person. Yeah. She talked like a like a genuinely identifiable person. She was a senator. No, she was a TD. She was but a her TD. name escapes me. But like when she talks, you could kind of go, "Oh, that's a person." 
Mm-hmm. That's like a, there's an identity there. I don't agree with it. But like, she understood the format. Mm-hmm. She understood that like it's intimate. As the thing about punk, it's intimate. And I think that's one of the problems that all of our political parties have is that they've all sort of done all this weird media miasma thing where they kind of have their little scripted one-liners and that's why Leo managed to get around them because compared to those guys Leo comes off as completely smooth and interesting and suave even though he's focus grouping all his things with his goons as well I mean this is a bit of a side note but yeah you're 100% right all these all this PR training of firms that if they're anything like the kind of staff they got for their last election, they were formerly dealing with the Tories. They reached out to those people and they were like, you understand you've done some work with the British Conservatives. Why don't you work with us? Yeah, because the t- these two countries are the same. Yeah, and our <laughs> electoral systems are just so amazingly similar. And our media also works exactly the same. So if we just take those communities and then what happened? Yeah, what happened? They, they lost. Keep the recovery going and yeah. we'll say that over and over. But also they, they like, um, there was a great thing said about Enda after the last election, the 2016 election, which was that the the way the handlers, I love, I love, I always love when politicians describe their own staff as handlers. There's something like deeply <laughs> emasculating about describing your own staff as handlers. Well, it was for Enda because yeah. he did have to be wrangled <laughs> off saying anything. Up. Remember but when during national crises you just wouldn't hear from him for like weeks? He'd be off. <laughs> He'd be handled. But the thing about Enda was handling him was a real mistake <laughs> because that was that's the charm. Mm-hmm. I would keep making this point to Dublin people, of which you're one of them. I keep making this point. is like one of the things that makes Enda popular where he's from and in places like where I grew up. One of the reasons he's popular is because he's got great enemies. He's hated by the people that I grew up with who hate they hate them too. Yeah. You know, if you are being denounced by Sean O'Rourke or some idiot like that, and you're down in North Leitrim, they hate him too. <laughs> they don't like that guy. And they go, he's just some Dublin prick. And and there's Enda, and he he is speaking what I'm speaking. Yeah. He understands me. That's important. And he he had that ability to kind of be that kind of howie, uh, embarrassing dad thing where he'd kind of shake everybody's hand at the bus stop. You know, he's a mop mistaking it for a child. Yeah, he, he all of that. He yeah. was all of that. But at least he was genuine. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I say this much for Enda. He had no illusions. That he did not. Enda did not wake up in the morning and go, I am the living embodiment of Louis Fourteenth. He did not have any of that. Leo wakes up and does have a bit of that. There is a bit of the, I am a man of greatness. And we haven't had that really since Hawhey, the original man of greatness. You no. know? It's funny, there was a lot of Irish Times profiles they did of Enda Kenny. And I remember coming to each of them like, okay, I'm going to get a sense, sense of Enda's interior life now. Yeah. And I always came away with this kind of vacuity. They never seemed to be able to, to get... But there wasn't much to get. That's the thing. I think that's the <laughs> thing. Like, Enda is the kind of guy who goes out and watches a bit of ga. He loves the golf. And when he was a younger man, he used to do a bit of shooting. Mm. Like, with the dogs. That's... that's I didn't, I yeah. didn't know he went shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was that kind of... Yeah, his, actually, that was his... When he ran for the father's seat in 1975, uh, this great profile of him, you should look that up. I think that's in the Indo... Or is it the Examiner? It's in one of the. I think it was in a non-Irish Times paper, mm-hmm. and there was a profile of him which I saw in one of the archives, um, and it's someone is down there because Harry has died, and which of the sons will go for the seat, and it's Enda, and Enda is the son who's just chosen to go for the dad's seat, 
And at the end of the profile, he's talking to the journalist or whatever, and he says, anyway, look, I have to go out and do a bit of shooting. And he just grabs a shotgun, breaks it, loads it, loads it back up, and takes the two dogs and goes out for a bit of shooting. And it's it's a weird moment, like, but that's 1975. That's what he started out as. Mm. I don't think he's changed much. Like, I genuinely don't think that, that man, the younger guy in 1975 to now, has changed a radical amount. Mm. Um, that doesn't. That's not necessarily a compliment to him either. By the way, it would be good. It would be better for us as a country if he had changed a bit more, if he had mellowed out a bit more, if he had actually, instead of spending so much time clawing his way to the leadership of Fine Gael and sort of solidifying there, and started thinking more, much more about what am I going to do when I run the country. You know, and now we have another problem with Leo, where he spent loads of time thinking about what he's going to act like when he runs the country. But he hasn't thought about anything about how he's going to do anything when he runs the country. The other thing, of course, is that it's all very well. We're talking about a budget announcement that came out on Tuesday. Nobody's passed anything yet. Or it's in the process of being passed. But the social welfare bill is different. That has to get passed as well. And there will always be inevitably attempts at amendments and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, like, he's got to usher this through. Now, he's lucky because Pascal seems to understand how to kind of get that through the house but you know this is a Taoiseach who's never actually had to usher any major piece of legislation through the doll mm. who has now announced a whole bunch of infrastructure packages which were not in the budget so nobody knows how he's going to pay for that he promised the people of Limerick and Cork a motorway last week like, interesting like, and, and mo- a huge motorway he, oh, of course there'll be a motorway what do you mean? Of course, they're going to be. Able- At least Fianna Fáil gave you some figure. It was bullshit, but you got a number. Yeah. You know they said we're going to build it to. We're going to build a, a motorway to nowhere to Tara. Nobody goes up there. We're going to build you a. That'll be the M three, and we think it might cost like seven hundred million. It ended up costing like five times that. But at least yeah, they gave you a number. Yeah, we have a deal with them. It's going to go on a bit nine months longer, so we can kind of sit around. And talk yeah, yeah, time. exactly. But like, like we we have a teacher now who's just announcing infrastructure randomly. What's the. Since how long has he been in for? Since he's less than six months. Less or he's than just six, six months. months now. And there was a dull break in there. It was a nice wee holiday. Nice wee holiday for them. Yeah. Um. After a busy time passing, how much? Smallest amount of legislation in any dull session that I know of. History of the state. Uh no, I think the smallest one was the session in nineteen twenty seven. Okay. But that was only that that doll collapsed within two and a half months. Okay. So Exceptional circumstances. But. Yeah, <laughs> like I think I like, to put it in an example. I think that the, I think the doll that lasted from eighty one to eighty two has passed more laws. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to double check, but I'm nearly certain that that one did. Well, isn't that a kind of uh, kind of Jupiterian radical center <laughs> to not do anything leadership? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I suppose I suppose he could argue that with yeah. his five million euro spin unit. Uh, you know, I look forward to him fixating on that on a podium at some point in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I do wish that we had more to discuss in the budget. And there are, like, some technical things that happened on the corporate side. But a lot of that is really speculative. The one thing I would say is this, is that Pascal did an unusual thing that doesn't normally happen in our system. And it's been said before, and I'm going to echo it, is that he needed new revenue and he raised it. And that is different. That is very different. That is not the norm. That is not, it is not normally in a giveaway budget where there is also a tax increase. And I'm not talking about fags. I mean like a real tax increase. That change in the vacant land thing is supposed to bring in like 400 million euros. Now, as we've seen before, anyone can look up, I'm going to eventually create a little chart of all the tobacco stuff. 
the supposed gains that we got versus the actual gains that we got. We've been running a massive deficit between what the government projects they're going to bring in from cigarette taxes and what they actually bring in. And the difference is basically the black market. And the black market is just becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So, you know, you, you have to take all these financial forecasts, which is what the budget day is, with a huge pinch of salt. The estimates are probably a bit better because they're based on real numbers. And so this is why people get so confused when they think about the budget, because there's like three or four things happening at once. But what we do know is that he did raise taxes, and that is different. If that continues, that's probably a good thing, because it is good to have a somewhat structurally balanced budget. But again, it's mainly balanced on a three and a half billion that just sort of magically appeared. I mean, does that mean that next year that like another bank is going to give us three and a half billion. I don't know how many banks owe us three and a half billion, but I mean, is this like a, is this a continual deal? Like, are we going to have this all the time now? You know, I mean, is Merkel really going to give us the 85 billion back that like that Ming keeps asking for? Yeah. It's funny that then the terms they spoke about it in, well, I guess that was a leaked memo or a leaked um, I love how the budget was leaked as well. You know that? Yeah, the way some it idiot dropped it on the floor. Fell open on a corridor. Yeah, know. I do always wonder about that. Is like, is that actually some idiot, or was that like deliberate? Where like, you know, you know, what's what's his name? Paul Kyo mm. is out there planting, planting. He's out there planting budget documents all over the floor of the Oroctus to make sure the good stories get out. <coughs> <laughs> that you was know. one of the ideas of Leo's crack communications. Crack team. communications leak as much as humanly possible. It's, I was surprised. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention to the right people. But there wasn't. A about the um, graphic that was on the front of uh, an ostensibly United Ireland on the cover of the budget. Oh, don't the gears? Yeah, yeah. There was like, you know, the six counties were accounted for by like three or four of those guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I wonder if that's something that... It's something that I, I suppose that like shinners would notice things like that. And obviously you and I would notice things like that because obviously the North is important because yeah, it's yeah. this problem. I really don't, I, I would hesitate to argue that Pascal is kind of clued in, you know. I would be, I mean, I would be really shocked if Pascal knew where Caventown was on a map. I'd be completely flabbergasted if he knew what Black Line was. <laughs> I would not in a million years think he knew where Cloynes was. Like, the, the border areas to these guys is voodoo, I have no idea. I mean... There are people in finance who are from those places. Like, that's home. They understand it. Yeah. Like, they're civil servants from the border. They, they are familiar, you know, border. They understand it. Um, they also know that there's a big water problem going on with a lake between Donegal and Derry. And they, they understand this stuff. The problem is that the, the Sir Humphrey types can't seem to get the carrots to the minister to get them along the way. Because, unfortunately, this minister is not like Fianna Fáil ministers. Fianna Fáil ministers are great. You put sugar on the table and they're going for it and they're just delighted, you know. Truffles. <laughs> but you can't have that with Fianna Gaelers because they have, like, principles and they're really dark. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that note, we'll leave it there. That's our kind of uh, our breakneck budget uh, chicanery. Um, what I'm going to do in the show notes for anyone who's interested is I'm going to put up the budget documents that were released so far and anyone who's interested definitely go check those out the one thing i would say is that you have to take every estimate with a caveat right now because it's all kind of temporal it's none of this is fixed 
um, but we will get a good picture in the next couple of months over how many of these estimates are going to get blown or not. But it just gives you a picture of what the government's talking about. And also, you know, I might update this in a sort of odd way later on uh, if we do actually get some sort of um, investment budget. But uh, that's been me, Jack Kavanagh. I'm Chris Bozing. <laughs>